So last week, being Easter, we obviously went with the easy one, the empty tomb. This week, we are going to be going through the empty life. And we can all feel that our lives are empty at times. Certain things will happen. We can understand that despair and loneliness and regret will hold us down. They will take us down roads that we don't really want to travel on. And it's ultimately, they lead us to pits that we don't like. Pits that get us to be down. Debbie Downers is what the term is. We look at life and we see that there are examples. There once was a woman who had this moment in her life. She thought everything was perfect. She had her husband. She had married her high school sweetheart. They had three children, ages eight, seven, and five. She had been very tired and she didn't feel like cooking. And she got home and she told her husband, I I need to sleep. And her husband said, no, it's okay, go ahead. I'll take the kids out for dinner. And while she was sleeping, a drunk driver had gotten on the road and had hit head-on the car that carried her husband and children. It took the lives of her husband and the two oldest. The five-year-old struggled with broken arm and held on to life. By the grace of the doctors, the wisdom that God gave the doctors, they were able to keep her alive. The highway patrolman told this grieving widow now, she was very lucky to have the five-year-old because their accident reconstruction had shown that the drunk driver had hit her husband's car at over 100 miles an hour. She felt her life was in shambles. Time went on. Time heals wounds. But for her, it was difficult. She eventually met another man, fell in love, and married him. But her newfound happiness turned to grief because they tried to conceive for children of their own, and she miscarried four times. She was struggling to understand how a God could possibly love her when she felt that all he had ever given her was taken away. One morning she woke up feeling sick and her mother was visiting and she told her mother and her mother said, I think you might be pregnant. She took a pregnancy test and sure enough, the pregnancy test came positive. Two weeks later, the trip to the OBYN proved that to be true. She stood there with her young daughter, and her young daughter, happy at the size of the little lima bean that she was seeing, knowing that she was going to have a new sibling. Months later, this joy turned into overabundance. 
because it turned out that she was pregnant with twins. And she started to see that through all that grief, all that struggle, all that emptiness, God was ready to replace it with a fullness. We come to this point now where we understand that darkness usually ends when the light shines itself into that emptiness. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. Here we continue on with more of the resurrection story. This being actually eight days after the resurrection, so it's fitting that we're preaching it today, being that eighth day. Verse 19 opens up, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them. When Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into the side, I will never believe. Eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. The first part of leaving the empty life is leaving fear behind. When we go back and we read last week, we see that Jesus had already appeared to the women. He had appeared to the disciples on the day of his resurrection. Eight days later, they're at this point that fear is back. That fear and everything is back. And it's because of what's going on in their lives. We read, they were in fear because of what the Jews, that was the leadership, the Sanhedrin, they were trying to hunt them down. They were in fear. Even though they had seen the risen Lord, they suddenly were back in despair. 
And what Jesus was doing at this time, Paul writes, one, one thing to understand is that John is just one of four accounts about what is going on at this time. So you can pick up actually a book called the, um, the, not the Synoptics, the Harmony of the Gospels. And what the Harmony of the Gospels does is it takes all four Gospels and puts everything into where they would be. So as you read, you understand that Jesus, after he appeared to them, he's on the road to Emmaus. He shows up to these two disciples, not, none, not by name, but we don't know what their names were, but these two are like talking, and Jesus suddenly appears and talks to them and disappears, and then the two of them realize, we've, we've just seen Jesus. And he goes on, Jesus appears to his own brother, James, his oldest, well, his next, I'm trying to think. He was the oldest son of Joseph and Mary. <laughs> but he appears to his half-brother James, and he talks to him, and James believes. And all this starts to go on. So during this time, these eight days, Jesus is out there. He's appearing, because remember what we studied in Mark so far. Multitudes had come and heard him. Multitudes had come and seen him. Now they've heard, they heard, hey, he's dead. The Romans crucified him. But then they hear he's alive. So Jesus is appearing to these people over this time period. He's, he, it's not just the 12 apostles and the disciples, that group of 120. He's appearing to as many people as he can during this time period. This is why we celebrate. This is why we know. This is why we take it as truth. Because it isn't just this one small band of people. It's multitudes that see him. But for that group, that core group, that 120, they're in this upper room. They're fearing for their lives. They're, they're hearing. I'm sure at this time they've heard that, oh, you know, um, Samuel's been captured. And we don't know what's going to happen. So they're living in this fear. They're wondering what is going to happen. And Jesus appears. And suddenly, all this fear just comes out of them. He sits there and he tells them, peace be with you. And it's just taken away. And at that time, he commissions them. Now, there are different accounts of Jesus' commissioning. To the apostles, the most famous being in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which is where he says, All authority I have, I give now to you. Go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I have taught you. This is John's account of that commissioning. He says, just as I am sending, just as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. Then he goes and he gives this difficult part. He breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit. And it says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And what that more or less is, is about the church. It's about the fact that there are going to be those, it's not saying that. Jesus gives them authority to forgive sins. That's not what we believe. Only God can forgive. 
We are given the thing to preach. We are given the commission to preach and share the gospel with people. What ultimately happens is people will either accept it or take it away. They won't, they won't accept it. And it's this thing that we should understand why we shouldn't be afraid to share our faith with people. Because Jesus is telling us there are going to be people that are going to accept it and there are people that aren't going to accept it. So we shouldn't be afraid to share. So after he sits there and he shows, he says, peace be with you. It shows that the apostles, that they're happy. We've already talked about that. Oops. Seems... Seems that when we crashed this morning, it took out my older, my newer version of the sermon. So I'll go with this part. Uh, Matthew 10 through 14. This is what it says when it talks about um, those willing to accept and willing to deny God. He says, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. Then you leave that house or town. Think about like our, our sayings these days, you know, just brush the dust off, you know, brush, brush it off. And I think there's a song that goes something like that. But the thing is, Jesus is saying to us, there are going to be people that are going to listen to the word joyfully, gladly, believe it, accept it, take it into their heart, make me their Lord and Savior, and they're going to be glad for you for doing that. At the same time, he's saying, you know what, don't be afraid if people say, I don't want it, you're, you're full of poppycock or whatever you want to call it. I'm sure they'll use worse, worse language. But the fact is, Jesus even told us back then when he preached on earth, people are going to either accept him or deny him. Our mission is just like the, the sower in the seed. Just keep spreading that around. And don't worry where it falls. It's going to fall on good ground. It's going to fall on bad ground. But it's the Lord of the harvest that ultimately waters it and fertilizes it and brings it to fruition. That brings us to the next point. Doubt must be released. Doubting Thomas. How many have heard that saying? And this is what Doubting Thomas was called. Thomas Didymus, the twin. I don't know why he was called the twin. The Bible doesn't tell us, Greek doesn't tell us, it just tells us that Didymus means the twin. So he might have looked like one of the other apostles, and that's what he was called. He might have been a twin brother. But history will, has always called him Doubting Thomas. And the reason why is because when the apostles come to him, eight days later, he walks in, he probably just missed it. Probably just, you know that feeling, you just missed, you, you turn on the news, you know that there's a story coming up, 
and you want to watch it and you turn it on and it's like that tail end. Thank you, Jane, for telling us that story and you're like, wait, that's what I wanted to watch. Well, this was Thomas. He missed the news flash. He walks in and rather than believing his brothers and sisters, he's like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I, unless I see, he says, unless I see, I will never believe. He needs to see things. That's the way a lot of people are these days. They need to see things in order to believe. They need to see to believe the truth. That's the day and age we live in. Even though he's heard these men that he's gotten close to, these women that he's, he loves like his own family, he's just like today's society where they believe that truth is relevant, that there's no absolute tr truth. Truth is what they make of it. Now think of this. If that was true, if there was no absolute truth, if there was nothing in this world that was true, I could sit here, have a boiling pot of water with the Bunsen burner. I could take oil in one of those turkey friolators that they use on Thanksgiving and say, you know what? I'm going to take my jacket off and I'm going to have my bare arm and I'm going to stick it in here and my arm's going to be fine. What's going to happen to my arm? It's going to burn. It's going to blister. It's going to cook. Why? Because there is absolute truth that whatever substance is in there that has the fire underneath, the laws of physics are absolute, that that is creating something hot that my body cannot stand. And yet society tries to tell us there's no absolutes. That is an absolute. Society tries to say truth is what you make of it. If that was true, then we wouldn't have anything that's false. We wouldn't be upset when politicians lie. When people we trust deceive us. Because there are absolutes. Thomas, rather than listen to his own brothers and sisters, decides to doubt. He's trying to think of things in this human logical way that just doesn't add up. It's not adding up. He states, I need to see, unless I see, I will never believe. Lee Strobel is an award-winning newspaper journalist, formerly newspaper journalist, wrote for the Chicago Times. His wife started to attend the church of Bill Hybels and believed. She became a Christian. 
And it really didn't go well with Strobel because he was an atheist. And he was challenged by a friend. You know what? You can take all your journalistic abilities and go and prove that your wife's beliefs are false. And what he did is he interviewed many different people from all walks of life, from believers to fellow atheists. He did this for two years, and in the end, in the end, the evidence proved to him that the evidence of the Bible was true, that Jesus was who he said he was. Today, he's not just a Christian and noted author, but he's also a pastor. And that leads to the next one. Leaving an empty life requires belief in the truth. When we jump back in, now another eight days has gone by, so where we're telling the story in real time to its fact, that part, up until Thomas says, unless I see, I will not believe. Now we're going to next Sunday. They're all together. They're all in that upper room, including Thomas. And the doors are locked, and Jesus suddenly appears. This is what happens. He looks up, and after he is able to touch the nail prints and the hands, put his hand into the side where the spear stabbed Jesus, he cries out, My Lord and my God. All that fear, all that doubt just leaves him. Then Jesus says this, Have you believed because you have seen me? And then he puts this caveat out. And it's not a dig at Thomas. Understand, it's not a dig at Thomas. Jesus loved Thomas, just as he loved all of them. But this here, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's for us. That's for us that have believed. That is for us that know that Jesus is who he says he is. That is for us who have made Jesus our Lord and Savior. That is for us who go out and march in Jesus' name, going to our friends, our family, and sharing the gospel message with them. Going out and not caring what people say knowing that there are going to be friends and family that will accept and friends and family that won't accept. And just like Jesus, having our hearts torn and broken at those who don't accept, but partying like the angels in heaven at those who do. We get a purpose that takes that empty life and transforms it into something that has meaning. For God and for those that he'll send in our path and lead them to him and see their lives transformed too. Now Thomas's life, Thomas's life is interesting. Um, a couple of weeks ago, 
actually. Yeah, I'm going to go back to that. A couple of weeks ago in growth group, we were talking, and we, we were breaking up um, what it means. There, there's generally three types, uh, three branches of the Christian faith. There's the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, and the Protestant Church, and we are part of the Protestant Church. Thomas has an interesting story. As I was studying this, and I actually bounced this off many of my friends, you know, am I reading this right? History tells us that Thomas is part of the reason why the Orthodox Church is. The Orthodox Church, for those who don't know, that is the church that is east of Europe, east of the Middle East. That's Greece and uh, Russia and many of those churches that call themselves the Orthodox Church. Thomas, it tells us, went to India. And there he shared the gospel for many years. He was martyred. But the Orthodox Church considers him to be one of their great saints. Because if it wasn't for him bringing the gospel and the message and the letters of Paul and Peter and James and John and the gospels, the gospel root, the gospel seed would not have been planted there and would not have grown. And one thing you should know about that eastern part of that country, right now in China, in North Korea, and in other countries that have that influence from the Orthodox Church in there, that is where, right now, there are some of the strongest churches because of the persecution going on. And this goes back to a man who doubted. When Jesus says... Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. It goes back to what the writer of Hebrews says to us. He explains faith as this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their condemnation. Commendation, sorry. Different thing. By faith we understand that the universe was recreated by the word of God. In other words, when God said, let there be light, there was light. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. There's a good book out there. You should try to find it. It's by uh, Norman Geisler. It's called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Geisler was another atheist who discovered God. And he points out that there's a lot of things, a lot of theories. Science is based on theories. A lot of these theories they accept as truth have never been proven. So a lot of these... A lot of these... Um, Theories, 
that are out there, they have no fact to back them up. They haven't been tested. In science, you test theories. In science, you have to not just test a theory, you have to run it through a number of things in order to prove that it is real. And Geisler points out that many of those things that we accept as fact, like right now, they try to teach us that evolution is fact, when it has never truly been proven. There's, there's the, what they call the evidence of the evolutionary scale, but the truth is they've never tested the DNA, they've never tested certain things to prove that what they're trying to say is actually fact. So he points out that it is easier to believe the Bible because there's so much fact out there to prove the Bible correct. There is so much scientific evidence that points out that things were created by someone that had intelligent design. See, many people, they fall into despair. They fall into an empty life because they are searching for meaning in it. That is why it is important for us to share the gospel with them. To point them into something that shows that there is truth. There is something so simple to believe. That there is a God who would love them so much that he gave his son to die for them. That that son loved them so much that as he faced death, he cried and prayed for them. We look at the legacy that God gave Thomas, that his life had this meaning because. Thomas had come to realize the love that God had for him. It shows that nothing is ever truly lost. It shows that the gospel has a deeper meaning and purpose for all. Our lives aren't empty when we are living for the king. And when we live for God that's when we find out that that emptiness, that darkness has that light shining through and so let it shine through to all. I'm going to pray now and ask the band to come up.